let me get set up here. Good morning. It is a pleasure to speak with you today. And I am speaking on humility, even though as I prepared my sermon this week, it morphed a little bit. But humility is the theme. And C.S. Lewis, who I love me some C.S. Lewis, said this about humility. Humility is the ability to be the greatest architect in the world, to build the most beautiful cathedral that ever existed so that people who saw it would weep in tears, weep with tears of joy. And then C.S. Lewis adds, humility is the ability to be equally as happy as if it was my neighbor who built it. See, last week I did speak on the problem of pride. Hopefully I conveyed that pride is something that we all have and we're born with it. Today, I want to speak about humility, which is the opposite of pride. And for me, it seemed like a natural progression after speaking on pride. But how do we live in humility when we have a prideful heart? How do we overcome pride that is constantly waging a war in our heart? I have to confess, as I prepared to preach this week, and not just any sermon, but a sermon on humility, I had to fight the urge to want to impress man. People gave me some compliments and encouragement after last week, and that tugged at my sense of pride. With that in mind, I want us to look at the fourth chapter of the book of James. The author, James, is speaking about this war that we are fighting on the inside. And James gives us some clues how to win this war. So if you will, turn to James chapter 4. I'll be reading verses uh, 1 through 10, and then I'll kind of be coming back, and break, back through them and kind of breaking them down. We'll be spending most of, my, uh, most of our time in James. I have a few other scriptures as well, but... Most of our time will be spent here. All right. James chapter four, verse one. I'm reading out the ESV, by the way. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask. And you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he earns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James starts off by asking a couple questions here. Why do we fight? Why do we quarrel? 
Why do people lie, cheat, beat up, even kill one another? Why do we do the, the things we know we really should not do? We, we talked about this a little first briefly in Sunday school, but Paul speaks of this problem as well. You don't need to turn there, but Romans 7.15, Paul says this, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And, well, the problem is, it's called sin. And, and the, this battle, or war, as James puts it, is raging on in the Christian heart. It's a war between our, our human nature and the nature of God that dwells in our hearts. The battle rages in us, and it starts with our desires. We often want the things like money, power, possessions. I mean, the list goes on and on. We never seem to have enough either. So we desire what everyone else has. President Abraham Lincoln, my brother's here. He loves President Lincoln. He probably has read more books on Lincoln than anyone I know. But President Lincoln was was outside with his two sons who were both crying. And someone asked Lincoln, what's wrong? And Lincoln said, exactly what's wrong with the world. I have three walnuts and each boy wants two. And that's what coveting is. It's wanting what somebody else has. And people will sometimes do whatever it takes to get those things. We will kill. We kill. We covet. We quarrel. We fight. As James says, As James says, but still, we can't have what we want. So the circle goes on and on, over and over, round and round. We want, we covet, we quarrel, we fight. We're not happy with what we have, and we want more. The problem is that our desires are messed up. We want what we want and not what God wants. There is a prosperity gospel that focuses on our lives in the now. And it says, become a Christian and God will grant you the desires of your heart. Sounds good. Go ahead. Keep your place there in James. We'll be coming back. But turn to Psalms 37. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 5. Psalms 37. And we'll be looking at verses 3 through 5. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The problem is, all that the prosperity gospel focuses on is the desires of your heart. And that's appealing. We want what we want. Now, that's not what it says, though. It says, first, delight yourself in the Lord. And the verses around give even more context. Trust in the Lord and do good. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. You see, we must commit our lives to God first. We must trust him. We must do good. And we've got to live for him. We got to do that. Then our desires will not be our own. They will be his. Our motives, our desires will be the same as his. We won't be selfish. We'll be generous. We won't be selfish. We won't be coveting. We won't be cheating. We'll be loving, humble, and generous. 
When we ask for something from God in these circumstances, then yes, we will have what we want because it will be the same as what God wants. Now go ahead and go back to James 4. Look at verse 4 there. James is letting us have it. He calls us adulterous people. Strong term. And he's not just talking to anyone. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And now we understand what adultery is. And we understand how ugly that is in in our lives and how that can ruin a person's life. But the Bible often uses marriage as an illustration of the relationship we have with God. He is the bridegroom. We are the groom. It is to be a lifelong commitment of love to one another. And Jesus says that when we marry ourselves to God, we are no longer to look at the world for gratification. It's a black and white issue. There's no gray area here. To choose to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And it shows hatred towards God. We are on one side or another. The world says, follow your heart. But God says, give me your heart. And look at the next verse. I mean, I don't think God jokes around about when it comes to our relationship with him. He is a jealous God. He doesn't want to see us running around having an affair with the world. Do we think he's not serious? I mean, he died for us. He paid the ultimate price for our salvation. He loved us and he loves every one of us. Amen. So how can we win this war that's battling on on the inside of us? I think James gives us a few a few of those answers starting in verse seven. First, we must submit to God. We have to give up everything in our life to him. We must start living his way. Let him be in charge of our lives. Let his word be our guide. We must submit our time, our talents, abilities, finances, possessions, even our goals and dreams. We must submit everything to God. That's not the only thing James calls us to do. He says we must resist the devil and he will flee from us. Have you ever thought about the devil fleeing from you? I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I think about that, I think, well, maybe he might be gone for a little while. Right. But he'll be he won't be gone for long. That's oftentimes how I think. But Jesus said, behold, I give authority over all. Excuse me. Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. That's in Luke 10:19. And greater is he that is in you than he is that in the world. That's from 1 John 4:4. 4, 4. We need to be aware that Satan is trying to pull us away from God. And we have to dig our feet in and resist that pull. And when we do that, guess what? We start to draw closer to God. And the closer we are to him, the more clearly we'll understand his will for our life. If we're far from him, his voice will be almost inaudible and it'll be much more easy to fall into the traps and snares laid out by the enemy. The next thing James lays out for us is he tells us to cleanse our hands. Now, I like to think about washing your hands. I'm a school teacher. So what do I tell kids when they come out of the bathroom? Did you wash your hands? And they say, no, I'm like, gross, go do it, you know. We are to wash our hands. I mean, the health books, I'm also, I teach health sometimes. Health books say one of the best ways to avoid getting sick is by washing your hands. 
You see the signs posted in hospitals and restaurants and in the bathrooms. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Why do we do this? To get rid of the germs. Those little things that make us sick. A little soap and water washes them right down the drain. We need to do the same. Get rid of those little things that interfere and affect us with the worldly life. Wash it away with the help of God. If you ask him, he'll show you those things. And he can have, you can have the strength from him to help get rid of those and clean those out of your life. James also tells us to purify our hearts. And we have to stop being double-minded. Do you think you're fooling anyone? Now, you might fool man for a little bit, but you'll be known by your fruits. But you're never going to fool God. If we desire the world and God, James would consider us double-minded. How can we pursue both? Abraham Lincoln said, house divided against itself cannot stand. Sorry, Franklin, I have to. I love Abraham Lincoln, too, apparently. But so let me ask, what are you pursuing? Because that is how you're going to be known. Now, some of you may say, preacher, you're starting to step on my toes. Well, you know what? I'm not aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. Because listen, James is warning you. And he's warning me. And then this next part where it it comes, the grieving in the morning. And as I looked at this, I was like, what is James actually saying here? And I think there's this idea that he wants us to be aware that our sin hurts God's heart as well. And it should break our hearts when we sin against God. But does it? I mean, look at King David, a man after God's own heart. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school again. David experienced godly sorrow for a sin of committing adultery at Bathsheba. And he prayed this in Psalms 6.6. I am worn out from groaning. All night I fled my bed with weeping and drenched my couch with tears. King David was serious about his sin. How serious are we? In verse 10 tells us to humble ourselves before the Lord. I believe the previous verses tell us how to do that. Submit to God, which is a sermon in of itself. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. And mourn our own sin. When we do that, he will exalt us. You know why God will exalt us when we do those things? Because those are the things that will humble your heart before the Lord. Remember, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I I thought about this kind of almost a paradox. I thought, isn't grace free? But yet, if you have to be humble to earn it, is it free then? And the answer is yes, grace is free. Because when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we understand the need for grace. That is truly given. That's freely is given freely by God. How can you ever receive God's grace when you don't even realize you need it? And oh, do we need grace? Let me end with this. When you play hide and seek with a child, they really want to be caught. And that's that's part of the fun. They're often disappointed when they're not found. And yes, we've all had that friend who tells you to go hide and they never come look for you. The other day, I had this neighbor kids were playing hide and seek in our house. God bless them. 
And one was hiding behind, I was sitting in the chair, and one was hiding behind the chair. And they'll actually start to make noises because they want to be found. They're dropping clues. In some respects, that's what God is doing for us. He's constantly calling out to you, wanting to be found by you. God's God's always desires us to seek him. And when we do, he promises he'll allow himself to be caught. Now, listen, God tells us he will lift us up. He will exalt us. He promises to lift us up out of our guilt, our misery, to a place of wholeness and right standing. We'll become righteous before God, taking part in the wonderful grace he has given us. I hope you are seeking God, and when you find him, you will find a hope that never ends. Let's pray. Father, thank you for using me, and I just I pray that your words was spoken through me. I just pray that we, we seek you and take part in the grace that, that you freely give. In your name I pray. Amen.